You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am so thrilled to introduce you to Michael, who's the Executive VP for Ipsos in Western Canada. In his role, he leads a number of key accounts and works closely uh, with Ipsos thought leaders and service line leaders to address key client needs. He's involved in all sorts of stuff, has won all sorts of awards, and he's here today with us to share with us all sorts of goodies about his life. Mike, thank you for being here. Thanks, Darian. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So Ipsos, research. When people are maybe uh, students that are listening to the show or those that are maybe brand side or agency side or MarTech, why does someone choose to go into marketing research? How did you end up in this role? Well, lots of questions there. So, I mean, the easiest way to start is I graduated university with a degree in political science. And Mm -hmm. like a lot of people with poli-sci degrees, you leave wondering, what the hell am I going to do with this degree? But really what, it, what ended up happening is when I looked at my course load, I realized that I had a, an interesting concentration of understanding how people think about politics, how they engage in voting behavior, how public opinion and attitudes can shift the public policy framework of Canada. And so I saw some real world applicability to the world of marketing. And so I ventured off and decided that the easiest and fastest way for me to get a job would be to kind of use some of those polling skills and applying them to the world of marketing. It's incredible. And, and tell me about yeah. the journey, that uh, career journey and career path that you went on after yeah, that. Yeah, so the career journey. So like anybody earlier in their career, or many people, in fact, uh, I, I had a real tough time getting in my first job. I grew up in Victoria, I moved to Vancouver, and I decided that I'm going to get into this world of marketing research. And so I got a job doing telephone interviews. And if you can imagine how mind numbing and heartbreaking it is to sit there and dial for dollars, trying to get to random Canadians to talk to you on a phone and answer 15 minutes of questions about tobacco or cars or whatever. And so it's a little bit of a soul crushing experience. I did that for about eight months, but I thought that this would lead me into a professional job where I might be more, you know, client facing, working on the design of the research, analyzing the, the results. And, and sure enough, as uh, despite being told by one of my early supervisors, 
that nobody ever moves from the call center into the full-time side of the office. I managed to, to do that after, after roughly six to eight months. From there, that was the end of my telephone interviewing days, thank God, because it was a tough, tough job. You know, 10 calls out of 11, people would just hang up on you for sure. But, you know, what was interesting about that when I reflect back, and, and, I, and I, I've said this to a lot of people in, early in my career, is having the opportunity to administer one of those surveys about whatever topic that we were doing, it gave me a really good understanding of how to construct a good survey questionnaire to get good results. And we would often be asked to administer these horribly worded questions, very confusing. And so it would always make me wonder, you know, to what extent are the results valid if we're asking poorly worded questions? And so a lot of that experience, you know, carried on well into my career where I kind of refined that working knowledge of, of, of strong questionnaire design. Obviously, I don't do much of that anymore, but it certainly was very, very helpful skill that I gained early in my career. That's incredible. That's incredible. And, and tell me about the, the to today and what, what would that look like from going out of the call center to the, being the VP? Yeah. So like many people, I worked my career, my way up in, in the marketing research field. I, would, I jumped from a couple of small companies to something that was more international in nature, I did seven years at a, a, re- a research technology company based in Vancouver called Vision Critical. And that was, I think, an important transition in my career in that it afforded me the opportunity to you know, learn a little bit more outside of the world of marketing research. I applied what I knew in marketing research. But what we really did is we pioneered the use of the internet as a tool to collect survey data rather than telephone call centers. And it exposed me to software as a service businesses and, you know, how to build those those types of organizations. But I ultimately came back to my roots, which was, you know, consulting, trying to get at the true human truths of any given client's business, because so much of their, you know, it's interesting when when you talk to clients about where research fits into their process, a lot of them will say, and particularly if they're they're not super sophisticated, they'll say, oh, well, we know it all. We're just going to launch this product or we're going to take this course of action, make this decision and reposition the brand or whatever. And if they've done it without a core fundamental consumer insight, something that really hones in on a human truth, what ends up happening is they a lot of new products, as an example, solve problems that don't really exist. You see this in the consumer packaged goods industry as an example, where they've hyper segmented and hyper fragmented their products to solve like a very, very fine niche, right? Like tied with cold water, tied for leachables, tied for colors, tied for hot water. Like, and and at some point in time some of those like line extensions that they've done, they've lost sight of what problem they're trying to solve. And so some of those line extensions do, do succeed. And, and some of those ones that I just named probably did succeed. But I've seen a lot of times where those line extensions and those paths down don't end up working. And so, you know, what I love about, you know, the research profession is 
I like to say that what we do for marketers is one of four things. We solve problems, we track performance, we identify a problem or mitigate risk. And, you know, when you boil it all down, you know, all of that information that we collect ultimately becomes intelligence. There's actually a really interesting quote that I've used often in, in, in many presentations throughout my career. There was a very famous marketer and researcher named Jack Conamichael, and he once said that research is the price you pay for intelligence because you pay a higher price for ignorance. Hmm. And ultimately, that, like that. That's boils great. everything down. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great quote because really what it does is it reinforces the need that you, Mr. Marketer or Mrs. Marketer, you have to do your homework before you make a decision. And doesn't necessarily mean that that decision you make won't be successful. There's lots of decisions out there that are super super successful. But the reality is there's there's a little bit of risk in every one of those business decisions you make, and research can help you mitigate some of that risk or solve a problem, right, et cetera. And, and look, there's the business press is ripe with examples of, you know, very famous examples of situations where brands have made a decision without being informed by research or being informed by research and ignoring it. And they are great public failures. A great example that I saw in my career was when Tropicana in the U.S. decided that they were going to migrate away from a very iconic package where they had the the orange with the straw Mm -hmm. put right into the orange. At the time, they were being really pressured by Simply Orange and a number of other brands that featured clear containers, that featured the color of the juice. And here was Tropicana in a cardboard container with Mm. with something that was ostensibly looking a little bit potentially dated. So, you know, and and as the story goes, and this was well publicized, so I'm not talking, uh, you know, out of school, that they made the decision. And at the time, Pepsi was encouraging their managers to make decisions based on their gut instinct and not, you know, double check, triple check all of the decisions before they made a decision. And so they made the decision to dispense with this iconic straw and orange logo. And they went with a bit of a cardboard container, but it featured the color of the juice. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what happened is it looked Mm quasi-generic. It was white with an orange color. But most importantly, they... They forgot about the distinctive assets that Tropicana had on its package. That straw with the orange was the mental cue that consumers used to go find Tropicana when they were at the grocery store shelf. Mm -hmm. And by removing those distinctive assets, they lost the ability to quickly make that decision. And if you know anything about consumer packaged goods, consumer decisions is most consumers don't spend anything more than a couple nanoseconds thinking about what they're going to pick up off the shelf. And so it, you have to make it super easy because choosing the next package over is also remarkably easy. Yeah. And, and as it goes, the story goes, you know, within weeks, 
they saw their sales decline. Wow. It was a complete disaster. And they went back to the iconic orange and straw on the package. Yep. And, you know, and that's a good example of how research can help inform a decision before it's being made. Because the cost to the brand mm-hmm. would have been tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, you know, all the sp- time spent in retooling and repackaging and new lines and yep. production and then the failure. And then, the you know, there is I, I mean, this is a this is an academic case study that probably is in every MBA class to this day. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, spe- yeah. and speaking of pricing, so we've got people who listen to the show from like Lululemon to Herschel to like Maple Leafs Association to small businesses. What is like kind of like the entry level gets you started on like, I, I don't want to just do a Google form. I don't want to do a survey monkey. I'm going to do something with Ipsys. What's like, what gets you in the door with an Ipsys survey? That's like corporate quality. Well, the internet is ripe with examples on how to design a survey. But if you're a small brand, yeah, you know, just have meaningful conversations with your customers. Try to understand what problems they're solving by, you know, buying your brand or coming to your store and and understand how those needs change by occasion. Mm-hmm. You know, so one of the, you know, one of the fundamental concepts in marketing is, you know, understanding what the occasion is and how it relates to someone who is uh, making a purchase decision. Yeah. So if you're a small snack bar brand, as an yeah. example, the question you should be asking yourself if you're a marketer is what need is this solving? Is it to satisfy an immediate hunger need? Is it to bridge between lunch and dinner? Mm-hmm. Is it a post-workout snack? Is it something that's going into your child's lunch yeah. for school? All of those different occasions have different needs. And those needs will drive a consumer to make different purchase decisions, yeah. whether it be a functional need or importantly, and don't forget, emotional needs as well. So there's a lot of interest, interesting research that shows that, you know, and, and I think we all intuitively know this, is that we humans make decisions that are both intuitive as well as irrational. And those irrational behaviors are often driven by emotions. And so what emotional context is in that, that purchase decision that makes you understand what needs you're solving? Those human truths become the foundation for how you might market your brand, what you put on your store uh, window or what you put on the package. All of those uh, truths can help you really um, stand out from the competition and be unique and, and, and relevant to the, to the consumer. Amazing. And just building on that a little bit, you know, often if we often get involved in, establishing and mitigating the risk of, uh, in terms of launching a new product. Yeah. And there's lots of research that shows that, you know, there are three basic constructs that are most predictive of in-market success. And they are basically relevance. Is, is this solving a need that the consumer has? Is it different and how expensive is it relative to the competing alternatives? And at Ipsos, we've actually created a, an acronym which calls we, we call RED, right? Relevance, expensiveness, differentiation. 
And all of there's tons and tons of research that boils it down to just three simple constructs that will help predict the performance of your success. And that can apply in any industry hmm. and in any category, whether it be retail, large brand, small brand, durables, CPG, et cetera. Simple, simple concept, but always be thinking about, you know, what can I do to understand the context, the occasion, yeah. and how is it relevant to the consumer? Yeah. And what are the competing alternatives? Hmm. That's amazing. And again, the options out there, Google Form, Google Survey, send something to your past customers using like an e-newsletter? You... Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. You, can, you can do a Google Form, you can set up something in your store, you can do intercepts. You know, one of the things that, you know, a lot of people think research is, is research is all about a survey, quantitative, big sample sizes. But, you know, if you're a small brand, Maybe the technology is not available, getting samples not as challenging. And use qualitative techniques to understand what people are thinking and, how, and, and kind of a lot of the stuff that I just talked about. It doesn't have to be complex and formal. I've had lots of brands, if they're like, say, for example, a small CPG brand and they're launching in this, the, the grocery store, they're doing sampling on site in store. Collect some information then. Get, get, some, get the consumers to answer a survey for you. Help them understand how, what choices they're making, what's in the consideration set, what's not. And, and that'll become you know, an important foundational knowledge for you yeah. to you know, build upon. Yeah, that's amazing. Right? You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. And, and do you have a starting point? Like, is there like a number that someone's like, man, I'm ready to take up a notch. I want to work with Ipsys. I want to kind of upgrade. I want to take the, you know, the Mario mushroom. What's kind of a starting price point for someone that, like even range, not going to hold you to it because this could come out and oh, prices could change. It, it, it is, it is kind of how long of a string question. So, but, but I think it would be, you know, we have small omnibus studies yes. that we sell access to 
which is a cost-shared survey with yeah. Canadians or Americans. We do them all around the world. And it generally speaking is $1,000 a question. Okay, amazing. So if yeah. you if a brand comes to us and says, I have five questions that I want to ask 1,000 Canadians, give or take, that's about that $5,000. Now, of course, we can do much more sophisticated projects and there's, you know, the size of our average project is typically, say, 50 to 60, maybe $70,000. Yeah. And then with our some clients that obviously global in nature, they would they would be spending millions of dollars on an ongoing tracking study. So yeah. it depends on you know the complexity, you know how big is the market, etc. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And maybe give some examples of folks that uh, you work with, or maybe kind of ways that they've used the surveys and ways that they've kind of gotten results or kind of that competitive edge. Yeah. So I mean, I, I could talk for forever about some of these things, but. You know, so for example, we work with a large clothing manufacturer. They have on a number of different occasions approached us and helped them understand the price elasticity for their products. You know, so there's a lot of science that can go into constructing a price elasticity study to help them understand what is the optimal price point Mm -hmm. for a pair of jeans or a t-shirt or whatever product that they're making. The optimal price point is not necessarily always the cheapest, right? Because you might think that the lower the price is, the higher the volume, the higher the volume, the greater the amount of money. But actually, there are some occasions where the elasticity of demand is different than the rate of change of that price point. And so in fact, sometimes the optimal price point for from a from a corporate revenue perspective might be a higher price point because ultimately demand for your product doesn't drop very quickly at certain price points and so obviously if you increase the price faster than the demand drops off you can probably optimize your price point so we do a lot of that and it becomes quite complicated because we can substitute features and options into into the design of the study. And so now we can start to understand, hey, okay, so you've got this pair of jeans. If you put five pockets on the jeans, it's, people are pay, willing to pay $50. But if you put four pockets, people are willing to pay $55, right? Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden it's like, ah, okay, fewer pockets equals more money. It's a bit of a, a made up example, as you can expect. But in a lot of consumer durable categories, the addition or subtraction of specific features is very, very important. And understanding how much you can charge for those features is, is a very complicated science. Cars, as an example, yeah. do, do this a lot, right? So how much does the upgraded rims on the car cost? How about the, the special colors or, you know, an upgraded radio or, and you know, new electronics uh, systems or navigation systems? All of those different features carry a value for the manufacturer. And we can help them optimize the the cost of those features by by testing it through kind of a a bit of a, a scientific design. Yeah, that's incredible. What, what do you love about your job? What, what's some of kind of your favorite things that you're like, man? I love it when this happens because it gets me so revved up, or when a client and this happens to a client. Give me some of those stories. You know, I think uh, you know at the core of it, we 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 help clients make decisions, and so you know one of the things that I really enjoy seeing is when we finish a project, we present the research results to the client, and then they actually go apply it and they make the right decision. It's a super exciting experience that sometimes 
doesn't happen. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I'm, I'm going to turn it around because I don't think sometimes what gets me discouraged is when they don't use the research. Yeah. So one of the interesting things that happens in the world of marketing and business in general is that people become wed to the idea. The, the, the people who came up with the idea love, love, love the idea. And then they've come along to Ipsos and they've asked us to test the idea and to see if it's going to work. And sometimes we have to tell them, I'm sorry, your baby is ugly. Yes. I'm really, really sorry. Your baby's ugly. Don't launch the baby. It's an ugly baby. Nobody's going to buy the baby. But they've become so attached and enamored with the idea that they launch the idea anyway. And, and, and of course, you know, nine times out of 10, the research is right. And it fails. And, you know, I, I, I do get discouraged when they, when they don't listen to the advice that they've paid good yeah. money for. Yeah. And, and you'd be amazed at how often that happens. Wow. And so, you know, sometimes I like to call those projects orphan research oh. projects, right? Like you, they, 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 they buy the research, yep. it goes on the shelf, and then it collects dust for them forevermore. Yeah. So I do get excited yeah. when they actually listen and when they actually go to apply what they've learned and build a winning business strategy. So I love that. That's exciting. An interesting area of research is, you know, segmentation studies. So there's a lot of research that shows that, and it goes back to what I said before, is understanding those fundamental human motivations around why people make decisions. And so we take those, and obviously they're not uniform in any given product category. Some people will buy those snack bars that I talked about earlier for one purpose, some the different people will have different motivations for the same product. Mm -hmm. And so we will often map those into a segmentation that understands and dissects them based on their human motivations, what emotional needs they're looking for, what functional needs, what their relationships are to the brands, what their values, attitudes, and lifestyles are. And then we paint these really interesting portraits yeah. for the core segments that each brand wants to, to go after. So it's kind of like putting a real human face on a bunch of numbers yeah. in some respects. And so we help clients build these interesting personas, very easy for a marketer to kind of understand who that persona is. Often we'll name them, we'll put a human face on them. Maybe it'll be a male or a female, a specific age. And those are really interesting and fun projects as well, because we'll activate that internally throughout the organization. Sometimes we'll film consumers and, and get obviously get their permission to share yeah. the actual footage with the client. They can start to really, truly understand who these consumers are. And the, the, the better you understand your consumer, the better your marketing is, the better your product innovation is, the better you're going to be able to resonate with that core target market. So it's super, super exciting. Exciting. Amazing. And for you, kind of like, what are you tracking right now? Or what are you following that's kind of getting you excited in kind of the world of marketing in general? There's a bunch of things that I think I always keep an eye on. One is what new things are we learning from neuroscience about how people truly make decisions? Mm -hmm. um, we know more about how the brain works now than it, we ever have before. And, and there are always new frameworks and theories and thinking around how consumers make decisions that informs the science of how we ask our questions, mm. you know, and, and despite 
me earlier saying that there is a lot of research online about how to construct a good survey, and there absolutely is. Constructing a really good market research survey is far more scientific today Mm. than it was when I started my career 30 years ago. And we, as a business, are investing a lot of money in R&D around the neuroscience and the science and the behavioral science of how people make decisions. And how to elicit the right answers that give us accurate and predictable responses. So I do keep an eye on that area of the marketing research field. And, and then obviously it's informed by you know consumer psychology and behavioral science and behavioral economics. Yeah. And all of those disciplines are playing a role in, in, in changing the craft of marketing research. Yeah. So that's one area I do keep an eye on fairly frequently. The other area that I think is topical for pretty much anything in business is what are we learning from generative AI algorithms that will help us change and improve the way we do our work. And, you know, obviously we're at the very, very early stages of applying large language models in marketing research, but are there AI models that can help us understand the relationships in our data that would otherwise be lost Hmm. and not reported on. That I think there's a huge amount of promise in the application of these sophisticated AI and and machine learning algorithms that we we have been using for many years already. But, you know, the science and the technology is only getting better And so it, I, I think it's a bit of a, an open field about how AI and ML will actually change how people do research. That's all. Awesome. And maybe, maybe people who write reports for us today at Ipsos may not write reports anymore. Wow. There's a possibility that a large language model like ChatGPT yep. will write the reports for us. Yep. And what will that do to our profession? What will do it to the mm-hmm. job prospects? And what will do to the the, the quality of the insights? Yeah. You know, I'd like to think that you know our the very smart people at Ipsos yeah. will do a better job yeah. than an AI model. Yeah. And I think if you were to ask me and predict how it's going to change the industry, yeah. I don't think it's going to put our workers out of work. Yeah. I do think it will improve the productivity yeah. of the output. I think what will happen is that the AI models will help us understand the relationships in the data mm-hmm. probably better than how we do it today, which is more a more manual process. Yep. But what the AI models will have challenges with is the client context around the business decision at hand mm. and the personalities of the clients. and how they action the data and the insights internally in the organization. Yeah. Those are, you know, contextual variables that are probably going to be more challenging to get into an AI model. Yeah. And definitely, you know, more challenging to inspire the client to make a decision they would otherwise not make. Yeah. And that's still going to require an in-person human interaction where I'm sitting down across the boardroom table from you and I'm saying, you can't make this decision because of X, Y, and Z. 
the right decision is A, B, and C. Yeah. And the ability for someone to kind of create that influential inflection point internally at that organization yeah. is it's going to be very, it's going to be a long time before AI can do that. Yeah, yeah. I think hundred percent. Michael, thanks for sharing with us. You ready for uh, ready for the rapid fire? I'm ready for the rapid fire. Amazing. Okay, these are short, quick answers, and let's uh, we'll jump yes. right in. What was your first ever job? Picked corn night, on a farm. Nice night owl or early bird. I'm an early bird for sure. Nice cat or dog person. Dog. What was the first thing that you ever marketed? Lemonade. Nice. <laughs> It's great. Darker milk chocolate. Dark. Last charity you supported financially or with your time and why? Covenant House. They do fantastic work getting youth off the streets. Amazing. What's a movie that you just love? You could watch over and over again. Dead Poets Society. Nice. Favorite song or album on repeat right now? Escapism. Okay. Nice. Don't ask me the artist. I don't know. Okay. If you weren't doing this job in another multiverse, what would you be doing with your life? Sailing. Nice. App on your phone you can't live without. I have a boat and there's a, I have a navigation app for my boat. Okay, nice. Favorite children's book? James and the Giant Peach. Nice. What's the most important thing you ever changed your mind about? Having children. Nice. Business or marketing books that you recommend? Think Fast and Slow by Dan O'Connor. Never Eat Alone, Robert Lenzioni. Nice. Very cool. That's a great one as well. Any podcasts that you'd recommend? All in podcast. Every Friday night, they record it. Every Saturday morning, it's released. I listen to it religiously. Nice, nice. Any newsletters or websites that you recommend for resources, inspiration? I look at WARC, the yep. World Advertising Research Council, yep. a lot. The Advertising Research Forum as well. Great content there. Those are the two primary ones. And in nice. the world of marketing research, there's a bunch of newsletters, research news. I think it comes out of the UK. is also very good as well. Skills required for this kind of new economy, kind of those that are coming up in the marketing sector and marketing world. What are, what's your advice for folks that are looking for jobs and looking to kind of make a name for themselves? Find ways to engender trust and communicate with authority and influence. Like I said earlier, very hard for an AI and ML algorithm to put you out of business mm -hmm. when you can sit down with people and have influence really awesome because that's 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 the way the world's going i think michael thank you for being here this was amazing yeah it was my pleasure where can people find you online where do you hang out what's kind of your are you, you on reddit quora linkedin uh, linkedin yep. linkedin is definitely my most frequently used business yeah social a social media platform so yep. it's uh linkedin forward slash m rodenberg just my first initial yeah. last name perfect perfect and where can they learn more about ipsis Ipsos.com is our global website, ipsos.ca. If you're in Canada, got lots of great content and we're always happy to help people answer questions. Incredible. Well, everyone, this is Michael from Ipsos. Thank you for being here and uh, we'll see you next time on the show. Thanks, Darren. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.